Let's pray together. Father in heaven, it's good for us to be here today and we thank you that you are leading us in worship. We thank you, God, that we have a song to sing. We have the hope of you, the truth of you. We pray that today, God, you would strengthen us in that. That you would grow our faith. That we would be those people who believe wholeheartedly from the depths of our soul in Christ as our Savior. God, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We need that. And we run to you knowing that you provide it. God, we pray that you would teach us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, one of those black pew Bibles there in front of you, it's page 1113, 1113. It's always helpful to follow along with what we're preaching through. Last week we weren't in 1 Peter. We had a guest preacher. Seems forever ago that it was Super Bowl Sunday, but it was just last week. Had Chris Morgan here from the University of Louisville. He did a fantastic job. We're thankful that he was able to come. And now we're back to 1 Peter where we are every Sunday. We'll keep walking through this. We're at 1 Peter chapter 1. Today we're going to look at verses 10 through 12. The idea of this passage today is that the salvation that we so desperately need is here, it's available, and it's known. Now, one of the neat things about what it means to be a human is to know that we have needs. You know that you have needs. Now, one of the hard things about being human is trying to uh, differentiate, trying to determine what's the difference between a need and a want, and that's a challenge for all of us. But we know we have needs. I would say, and you can search the world and you will see it, that the majority of the people in the world are those who believe in God and know that they need Him. Now, many don't understand that. Many don't know how to bring some understanding to that. Many don't know how to qualify that. Many don't know what they mean when they say that. But you search the whole world over and you will find people nearly everywhere who understand that there's a God, that there's greater than them, and that they have needs from Him. That's what it means in so many ways to be human. You've all heard the great quote, to err is human. Because what it means to be a human is to be this person living with this freedom, with all this potential and all this, yet to be aware of our shortcomings, to be mindful of our struggles, to be living in the idea of something's not right. We are sinful people. We have a need from God for God to fix things. We need God to fix our world. We need God to fix our individual lives. We need God to fix our hearts even. I think the most of you would admit rather quickly that you have a sinful heart. Your heart thinks things and longs for things and loves things that you know aren't right, aren't honoring to the Lord, aren't pleasing to Him. We need God. We need God. And you read the whole Bible, the Bible addresses this clearly. From the beginning of the Bible, the Bible is teaching us that God is the God of history. The Bible does not speak of a time when God was not. 
The Bible speaks of a time when God created. Whether you read the beginning of the Bible in Genesis with the creation which God did, or whether you're reading the New Testament where it reminds us that in the beginning was Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus was. And all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that has been made. Jesus is the Creator. The Bible wants us to understand that anything that has ever happened in the world, in this life, in your life, has happened inside of God and what God is doing and what God knows about and what God is working in your lives. All that is to say that God is certainly aware of our needs. So then one asks, well then what is the Bible? Certainly not just a textbook. It's not somewhere you turn if you just want information about this or that. While it could be those things. What the Bible really is, is God's message to us of how He will answer our need. And those who know God as Father know that the Word of God is the truth and the satisfying answer of what their soul needs. You see this throughout the Bible. Early, early, early in the Bible, you have Adam and Eve sinning against God. Now, two people sinning against God is very common and familiar to us. We can all connect or relate to being in the position of Eve in which God has told us something not to do, and we, for whatever reason, say... I'm still going to do it. That's us. That's what I'm like. I think that's what you're like. And yet the Bible is full of instances showing where people are better off. Just a few months ago, I preached through the book of Exodus. And you remember the story of the people of Israel in slavery in Egypt and how time and time again they would ask God for something, God would provide it, and then they would complain saying, no, we'd rather not. And they were sinning against God. Yet throughout the Bible showing us what we already know and experience, that we have needs from God, the Bible is also telling us that God has not left us stranded as people with needs with no hope. That is a sorry position for religious people to be in. What kind of a God has created a people with religious tendencies, with spiritual desires, and yet has left those without being able to be found, or satisfied, or met, or understood, or fulfilled. What is that? And yet, many, maybe most, of the religious people on our planet today, out of the seven, uh, seven billion, are very religious, and all they have are some hopes and some wishes that God would help them, or that God would make things right when the time comes that God would meet their need, that God would pardon their sins, that God would fix things. They have no assurance, no confidence. What is that? And yet we have, in the Bible, where we see our need, we have also God answering it. That a Savior would come. That God will deal with that. That, a, that, that one who would come that would fix our problems is, is, is coming. You have this. You have this in the Old Testament, to which they were looking. You have this in the New Testament, to which it's happening. You have this as the answer to our sin problem, the Savior. In 1 Peter today, 
in verses 10 through 12, we have an interesting passage in which it talks about the prophet's perspective in which they were prophesying about the Savior. It's an interesting passage. I want to look at three simple points today. The first is that some look forward to it, some long to look at it, and some, rightly so, experience it. Some are looking forward to it, some long to look at it, and some, rightly so, experience it. Read with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that, you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's start at verse 10 concerning this salvation. What salvation, one would ask? The salvation that people know when they have believed in Jesus and been forgiven of their sins. We all know that we have sins. You don't have to search far at all to find people who are admitting, I'm not right. Every one of us know that there are times when our hearts go astray. There are times where we have disobeyed. We are a sinful people. We need a Savior. And what Peter has been writing about already, look at verse 3, is the great mercy of God that causes people to be born again. Born again to what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God is a God who gives salvation. There are people today who experience salvation. There are people who know God. There are people who are saying, I am a sinner, but my sins are forgiven. The Bible teaches us that we are to know that we are saved. I had a young person this week send me a message saying, hey, how can we know that we're saved and that we're going to heaven? And I, said, and I showed them some places in the Bible where it says, well, God wants us to know and He tells us that. Because the Bible says that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, listen to me, that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He was not simply being a model example for us. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, He was suffering the discipline and punishment and wrath of God for sin. The Bible teaches that sin will be punished, sin will be dealt with. But so that God does not have to punish and deal with our sins, He killed His Son on the cross. And when Jesus hung on the cross and died, the wrath of God in all of God's righteous, rightful, good, just anger and hatred towards sin crushed His Son, punished His Son, killed His Son on the cross for us. And by the fact that He rose from the grave three days later, the Bible's message is consistent and true that if you, being aware of your sins, that if you, being aware of your need from God, will look to what Christ has done and believe that God will forgive you. God will make you right. God will wash away your sins and make you pure. You can be right and forgiven in the eyes of God. That message is available for anybody in the world. You can take that anywhere to anybody. Nobody is too far away. Nobody is too uneducated. Nobody is so bad and messed up. Nobody has sinned so much. The more you sin, the more qualified you are for forgiveness because He died for your sins. If you're here today thinking, well, you don't know how bad I am. If you're here today thinking, well, you don't know how messed up I've been. You don't know how much I've cursed God, ran from God, ignored God. You don't know how much I don't even think or care about God. The Bible would say, 
Christ died exactly for that type of person. And if you would turn from your sins to Christ, God will forgive you and make you right based off what Jesus has done. And it is the mercy of God who works that trust in your heart and in your life. And if anybody is here holding on tight to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, they are saved and they have salvation. Peter writes concerning this salvation, that salvation. And then he says, the prophets who prophesied. And he brings up what we have in the Old Testament. That we have a message from God in God's Word about people talking about this salvation. The Old Testament talks about the salvation of God. It does. In Genesis chapter 3, Eve is told that her offspring will crush the head of Satan. Do you know that? In Genesis chapter 3, Eve is told that her offspring will crush the head of Satan. That is referring to Jesus. In Isaiah, we have Isaiah talking over and over again that there would come one who is a suffering servant, one who did not sin, who would be slaughtered for our sins. It doesn't say Jesus, but that's clearly who it's talking about. The Bible is pointing us to one that would come and would save, and the prophets knew about that. They didn't understand it fully. They didn't know when, and that's what Peter's writing. Point number one, some were looking forward to it. Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Listen, the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament, which is a lot thicker than the New Testament, talked about a Savior that was coming. A Savior that was coming to redeem through suffering. This is the message. And they were looking forward to it. At the end of Luke, on the road to Emmaus, it says that Jesus was there, and Jesus told them some things about how Jesus is the Savior. And how what happens to Jesus in dying on the cross and rising from the grave is what had to happen. Luke 24, 26 says, Did not the Christ, that's the Savior, have to suffer these things and enter in His glory? If somebody is a reader of the Old Testament, they may not know who Jesus is, but they know that when God sends the Savior, He'll be one that will suffer so that He can enter into glory. What about this verse, 24-46 in Luke? This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. God's people in the Old Testament were those who knew their sins and know they needed God to forgive their sins and they were looking forward to one who would be glorious yet would suffer and then rise again. Or what about this, what Peter preaches in the book of Acts? Or what Paul preaches, sorry. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to His own people and to the Gentiles. (coughs) The message of the Old Testament is that God would send a Savior. (coughs) Michael, will you please get me a bottle of water? This is the message that God has given us in the Old Testament. That we know that we need forgiveness. 
We know that we need God, and God will send someone. Now, the question that comes up is, are people who, in the Old Testament, (coughs) forgive me, are people in the Old Testament saved the same way we are? Yes, they are. They are saved because they are believing the only way anybody anywhere at any time could be saved is by faith alone. You can't be saved by good works. Nobody does good works. Don't ever believe you're saved by good works, ever. We're saved by faith alone. They, though, aren't able to look back like you and I do. When we look back to the cross, we see it in all its beauty. We see it with its glory. We say, He did that as the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose. He did that for my sins. Matter of fact, He did that because of my sins, and He did that for me. They, listening to God's promises, look forward, without knowing all the details, to God sending a Savior. And yes, they are still saved by faith. Faith in that God will send a Savior that would suffer for my sins and forgive me of my sins. They are saved by faith alone. It is this... (coughs) Forgive me so much. Thanks, Micah. It is this that Peter is writing about. When he says that the prophets searched, they inquired, wanting to know more about it. That's my point. They were looking forward to it. Folks, do you realize that there was a time period where people, people have always been the same in the sense that we know we're sinners? There's always been people who have lusted, and there's always been people who've been liars, and there's always been people who were greedy and dishonest. There's always been rude people and shameful people, and there's always been jerks. There's always been bad people. We've always been bad. And if you're bad, you know, man, I need help. I need forgiveness. I need something. God have grace on me. God be merciful. Lord have mercy. There's always been people who knew that and felt that way. Well, it used to be a time where people had to look forward to the promises of God. God sending somebody. A Savior, Redeemer would come. I know I need something and He'll send it. My hope, my trust, my promise is that. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 22... That weird, peculiar passage where God tells Abraham to go sacrifice his son, Isaac. You read that. If you're doing the Bible reading plan, then you read that in January. He tells Abraham, the one who he is starting all the promise with, to go sacrifice his son. In many ways, a horrible request. I have three sons, and I hope God would never ask me to kill them. The Bible says he was testing Abraham. And the Bible says that Abraham goes. And Abraham goes with his son. And they go up the mountain. And his son is even carrying the wood. And his son says, Dad, where are we going? He says, we're going to sacrifice. The son's clearly old enough to understand. And he says, well, Dad, I see that we've got this. And I I see that we've got this. But we we don't have the lamb to sacrifice. You know what Abraham tells him? He says, son... God will provide the lamb. God will provide the lamb that we will sacrifice. 
There is a real sense in the Old Testament that those people were aware of their sins and they were trusting wholeheartedly that God would provide the answer for their sin problem. They looked forward to it. They didn't understand what year that would be. They didn't understand what person that would be necessarily. They knew it would be a Christ. They knew it would be a Savior. That's what this is talking about. Look back in verse 11. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ. Notice that. This is an interesting phrase, the Spirit of Christ. Because they knew that God would have to send Himself in a saving person. He would have to be the Spirit of Christ. He would have to be a Redeemer. They knew that. And they were looking forward to it. But they were curious about it. But they knew, this was as in them, was indicated when He predicted. So much of what the prophets did was predict what was going to happen in the sufferings. And in the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That He suffered when He wasn't supposed to. But He suffered because He had to. He suffered on behalf of other people. He suffered for sinners. He was killed for sinners. It was the will of the Lord to crush Him, the Bible says. And yet even at that, He rose again. He's victorious. These are the glories of our Savior. And they knew about that. But they were curious about it. They looked forward to it. Folks, that's not us. We're not looking forward to that. We have more clarity. We have more picture. We have better understanding about the Redeemer, Savior that has come. But I want to remind you, listen, there are a lot of people today who still think, I know I'm a sinner. One day God's going to send a Savior. There are a lot of people today. There are whole religious systems set up today who think that. There's people who believe the Bible. They mostly believe the Old Testament. They say, I know I'm a sinner. I know that God is good. I know that He's righteous. I also know that He's merciful and He will forgive me. But I'm just waiting for Him to send somebody that will be that Savior because He hasn't yet. There's people that think that way. They're wrong. They're wrong. There's also people today, and maybe this is you, who believe the Old Testament and the New Testament Yet they don't believe it to be a sure salvation. And so they say things like, I sure hope God will let me into heaven. I hope He'll be merciful to me. I've lived a good life and I've tried to do my best and I hope it's enough. It kills me when I hear a church person speak that way. The prophets told us that a Savior was coming and that He would suffer and He would die and His glories would be known. God is sending that One to be the Redeemer for our sins. The Bible says run to Him, flee to Him. The Bible says flee the wrath to come. The Bible says run and save yourself. The Bible says turn from this perverse and twisted generation. The Bible says run and be rescued. The Bible says run to the Father. The Bible says for you and I to know forgiveness of sins and be sure in that. You may not be sure about a lot of things. You may not be sure about all of your faithfulness. You may not be sure about how good you are at living a life or how obedient you are, but you can certainly be sure that God loves you and salvation is sure for you. The prophets were sure that it was coming. They just didn't have all the answers. They're looking forward to it. Now it's tax season. I just went this week. Dropped off all my stuff for the guy to do it. It's an interesting time because some people get money back. Isn't it funny how many people like live all 12 months for the tax return? You talk to people in, in October, I mean, we get that money back, we're going to be straight. We get that tax return, man, we're going to be good. 
Oh, man, them new Jordans come out in, in, in March, and Mom told me when she gets her taxes, I can get a pair. I, you hear people say that stuff. They're looking forward to the return. Every time I go to the bank, I like to st- stay in there and, and talk to the ladies. They, they serve fresh coffee over here at our Fairdale Bank, and I drink a cup of coffee and talk to them in there, and I say, what's the biggest return that y'all see? And they say, oh, we see some for $10,000 sometimes. I'm like, how many kids do you have to have because I already have four. <laughs> How many kids do you have to have to get a return like that? But there's a lot of people who are living life looking forward to the tax return. March, October, summer. Summer's when you hate life, you're out of money, and you're just waiting for tax season. But there's a lot of people doing that. It's not necessarily good. It's not necessarily right for them to be living that way. But they're looking forward to it. The prophets of the Old Testament were those who knew a Savior was coming. They didn't get it all like you and I do. They were just looking forward to it. But look what it also says about them. Verse 12. It says that it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. This is interesting. The Old Testament prophets knew under the inspiration of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that what they didn't understand, you and I one day would. That the church is the goal of the Old Testament. That the revealing of God was for there to be people one day who would stand together like this in worship saying, we have a Savior. God has sent a Savior. Jesus Christ is the Savior, bled for my sins. And I'm here this morning, even though I feel sick, even though I'm tired, I'm here because I want to worship the Savior of my sins. Man, it was a rough week. And man, I sinned this week. But I have one who loves me despite it. I have one that will forgive me of my sins. And the reason why I'm here this morning is to worship God because He has provided what my soul needs. I'm right with God, not based off me and my good behavior this week, but because of Jesus. He's provided that. And the Old Testament prophets knew that there was coming a day where there would be people knowing in a real and personal way the Savior. They didn't know that fully, but they knew that what God was doing through them was getting to that point. This is incredible because this puts the gospel message that I'm preaching you today on the same level as Old Testament prophecy. When Isaiah says the suffering servant is coming, when Isaiah says the the servant or the Savior will be a suffering Savior, you and I believe that because we saw it happen. It is sure and true and positive and we know that. But Peter seems to be saying that what we have going on today, Josh Green preaching to you that Jesus will save you from your sins, is on the same level as the prophets. Because, look what it says. It was revealed to them they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Folks, God's plan to save people is more brilliant than you could have ever imagined. There were people years ago looking forward to a Savior coming. And yet there are people today Stand like us, standing as a foundation on those prophets, seeing the whole picture. There's nothing left to know. 
There's nothing left unknown. We understand God's salvation. If you're here today and you're not going to heaven, you're not a believer in Jesus, you're not forgiven of your sins, it is not because God hasn't told you. It is not because the message is unknown. It's not because the message is unclear. The prophets told it. We look back to it while they looked forward to it. Secondly, while there are some who are looking forward to it, there are some who long to look at it. Look what it says there at the very end of verse 12. Things into which angels long to look. This is fascinating. Many people have read this and thought, what does that mean? Do you realize that angels don't know salvation? One of the things that's very troubling for a, pa- for a pastor is the way we so often talk about angels. You often refer to people as angels. I go to a lot of funerals and often at funerals you hear somebody say, well, they're an, an-, they're an angel now. There are people and there are angels, and they're not the same. Angels don't become people, and people don't become angels. The Bible's pretty clear on that. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that angels are those who in their position look upon salvation. They long to understand it. They long to see it like you and I see it. They long to embrace it. They long to be in the position of having a God who loves you and keeps you secure regardless of where you're at. That's what salvation is. I know myself to be a sinner, but I know myself also to be so incredibly loved by God and forgiven by God that there's not anything you could do or anybody else can do or the devil could do to get me out of the security of salvation in God. The Bible says that I am safe in Him, that I am secure in Him. And the Bible is saying here in Peter that angels are here longing to get that. Think about it. Angels are those who are made by God to serve God. And they do a lot of stuff, and they're special. They don't sin, but they're just made by God to serve Him. They serve Him. They serve Him all the time. They worship Him. There's a lot in the Bible about what angels are doing. But they don't know Him in the way that you and I do. You and I know Him in the sweetest possible way that one can know Him. We know Him as a Father who has watched us run away into our sinfulness and yet, by His own grace and mercy, has drawn us back, poured on us His grace and love, and forgiven us and still accepted us. And accepted us not on the basis of our, well, we've turned our lives around. Accepted us on the basis of what His Son, Jesus, has done. We know Him as one who has done everything we needed to make us right with Him. When we sing about God, we sing of Him as our Savior, our Redeemer. The angels don't know Him like that. The angels can say a lot of things. But they can't say what you and I can say. They can't say, I've been redeemed. They can't say, I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. They don't know that. They don't know God in that way. You and I worship God as a God who loves us despite our sins. 
You and I worship God as a God who sent His Son to save us, to make us right. That is our salvation. Angels long to know it like that. The prophets looked forward to seeing it in that fullness. The angels are just there saying, I wish I knew Him that way. They long to look at it. I want to ask you today if your idea of God is more like you're seeing the angel are. You know some things about Him. You see salvation as a, as a distant, more abstract truth. You don't know it to be that you've been saved. You don't know your sins to be a big problem. You don't know God to be angry over your sins. You don't know the, then, therefore, the sweetness of forgiveness. Are you kind of like an angel? You just keep your distance and stand back and you, you look at all the gospel truths of church and Bible and, and salvation through Jesus and you just kind of look at that and you, you just accept it. There's nothing personal or real to you. Are you more like an angel? Because I'm going to tell you, the Bible would never say that the angels are saved. Be careful when you talk about angels and you talk about people. Now, I'm not upset if you refer to a sweet person as a sweet little angel. But just know that angels aren't redeemed. They haven't been bought by the precious blood of Christ. Christ didn't die for them. Some people were looking forward to the salvation. Angels longed to look at the salvation. Lastly, some people most clearly are experiencing the salvation. Look at verse 12 again. It was revealed to them. They were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit sent from heaven. What Peter is writing here is to these Christians. You remember the past couple sermons here? Christians living in that first century under lots of persecution. And when you get under persecution, you start to question and doubt. You really start to feel whether this is real. <clears throat> persecution is not the only thing that causes you to question and doubt. Sometimes just loneliness. Sometimes it's hardship. Sometimes it's discouragement. You go through a bad season of life. Sometimes it's the flip side. Sometimes it's a lot of success. Sometimes it's things going really well and you just get so distracted you don't think you need God anymore. Peter's writing to Christians under persecution. And his message here is profound from the perspective that you and I are looking at it. He reminds them that the Old Testament Scriptures they believed were written by people that longed to have their perspective. Those prophets were looking forward to what these Christians right here had. He reminds them that the angels don't know it in a personal redemption type of way. Angels aren't redeemed. And he reminds those Christians that. But then he says to them, they were serving not themselves, but you. Can you imagine being a first century Christian dealing with persecution? And Peter writing a letter to you, Peter being an apostle who spent time with Jesus and saying, listen, I want you to know when that Old Testament was written by Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, whoever, they were writing it for you. They were writing it for people who would say, I need a Savior. 
And I need truth to show me who my Savior is. And I need an anchor that I can hold on to. In other words, Peter was writing it to the people who in its fullness are experiencing salvation. Real Christians today are not people saying, well, I think a Savior's coming. Real Christians today are not people who are saying, well, I hope I've done enough. I think I've tried a lot and I've tried to be a good person. I hope that's okay. Real Christians today are not people who stand off like an angel looking at what God is and what God's done and just say, I'm, I'm okay with that. I agree with it. Can't think of a better option. Must be right. Now, Christians today are people who hear the truth of God that Christ must suffer, that Christ must enter into His glory, that the suffering servant is God. He didn't deserve to die. Why did He die? For our sins. What do you mean my sins? Yes, my rebellion, my disobedience, my heart loving things that it shouldn't love. Christ died for that, yet He conquered sin for that. He conquered death for that. He conquered Satan for that. Christ did. And it happened for me. And it happened for me so that I would put all of my trust in it. That I would reorient my life to being a life that is a follower of Christ so that everything is for His glory. And Peter says, that was written for you. And these Christians are to be strengthened in that which they are experiencing is the plan of God to create a worshiping people. The whole reason God created was that God would get worship. Is that God would get the glory. And Peter's writing to these Christians saying, all of this was being written about the Christ for your sake. Look at the end of verse 12. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's a neat spot for us to be in as a church because we are seeing people come to faith in Christ. We have people right now who are ready to be baptized and waiting to be baptized. We have people here right now, even here today, who are thinking about being saved. Some of you are not saved. And you're thinking about being saved. You're thinking about making this big commitment to being a follower of Jesus. You know what Peter's saying? That God's whole Bible, all of God's working in history, has been to bring us to the point where the salvation message is clear. Somebody preaching the good news of Jesus while the Holy Spirit's working through it. I want to ask you here today, do you want to be saved? Do you know that your sins are bad and that you need God's forgiveness? And do you know that He provides it? Do you know that all of history with people being sinners makes sense because God has told us that we've rebelled against Him, but He hasn't left us hopeless because He has provided the Savior? And do you know that the answer for the whole world, for you or for anybody else, is Jesus? And that the sinless one dying for the sinful ones is the most relieving, good news message one could possibly dream of? Do you realize today that you can be saved without bringing anything to God? If you will turn from your sins and believe on Jesus, God will save you. 
you can experience this salvation. Concerning this salvation, like it says in verse 10, some were looking forward to it. Some stood at a distance like angels looking at it, longing to experience it. And some are fully experiencing Jesus as Lord and Savior, forgiver of their sins. That should be you. Don't neglect it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for Peter's message. Thank you, God, for clarifying to us the beauty (coughs) of the Scriptures being fulfilled. Thank you, God, for the Old Testament prophets that we learned from and that they were serving us. God, may we not miss that point and may we be believers. God, I pray that we would be examining our hearts and that we would be trusting in Christ. And Father, if there's somebody here today who's not believed, who's not been saved, not repented of their sins and ran to Jesus, that they would. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.